the idea that people are just like, oh, I'm going to go donate blood. I think that's a flawed idea. I think removing blood is a medical procedure. The fact that we've kind of made it this nonchalant thing, I think is not in the best interest of the individual that's having the blood removed because that's a medical procedure. It could be therapeutic and helpful. It could also be detrimental to one's health. Like me, I would do horrible if I had blood removed. Of course, they check your hemoglobin before, but I have a normal hemoglobin. I could donate blood. It would really wreck my health and I would have to crawl myself you know, out of that hole. So I'm not gonna do that. Not because I don't want other people to be healthy. I just can't do it at you know, the sacrifice of my own. Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. Have you been feeling off? You know what? Your hormones might be out of whack. Take my quiz to discover your personalized hormone imbalance and get a free report with your results. Learn what's really going on with your hormones and start feeling like yourself again. Just visit the website quiz.hormoneshelp.com to take the hormone quiz now. Welcome back to Menopause Mastery. And so I just got through telling you about Dr. Christy Sutton, but I, Christy, I would love for you to share your story. You know, I think the tragedy is most of us in this arena have come to this because of our own health concerns or family members. But I'd love for you to share your experience and how you got here. Yeah, so I guess the way that I got to where I am now was a combination of both my own personal health problems plus then my family's health problems. So personally, I have Crohn's and celiac disease and when they diagnosed me with Crohn's, they took out part of my small intestine, which because of all of these issues that I have, I've always dealt with a lot of nutritional deficiencies. That's kind of always been a big Achilles heel for me just because of malabsorption issues. So, you know, it was not uncommon for me to be low in iron or B vitamins or, you know, probably just about everything at one point in time. So then... Once I graduated from chiropractic school and I went out into the clinic, I was very interested in looking at people's labs, including iron-related labs. And that was as much driven by my own personal experiences with nutritional deficiencies and you know, trying to get to the root cause of whatever the problem was. And so I was really looking for low iron issues. I think it's really common as a clinician and a person to kind of look for things that you personally deal with and sometimes to the fault of like not seeing the other end of the spectrum. So, but when I was looking at iron labs, occasionally people would come up with like a high ferritin or other labs that were related to high iron. And I did what I thought was best for them and what I knew to be best at the time, which was say, hey, 
you need to donate blood to help lower that iron. And it wasn't until I was writing my first book, The Genetic Testing, Defining Your Path to a Personalized Health Plan, that I discovered that hemochromatosis genes existed and that they caused an increase in iron absorption. And I also discovered, oh, my husband has one of these genes. And that is why I keep telling him he needs to donate blood. And sometimes, you know, he would listen to me and sometimes he wouldn't. But the moral of the story is that because we didn't have the proper diagnosis, he was like most people with undiagnosed hemochromatosis, not really getting managed properly, which meant that it was easy for his iron levels to spike up. And, you know, he's always had his primary care doctor who was ordering the labs and his labs would show high ferritin, often high hemoglobin, high hematocrit, high red blood cells. So, you know, his blood was getting thick as a result of the high iron, which is common. The high ferritin is particularly damaging to the liver. He did have high liver enzymes. His doctor never said anything. And then we decided, you know, it's time to really get to the bottom of this. He wasn't feeling great. So first stop was the gastroenterologist. And this was probably five or six years ago. And we went to the gastroenterologist and I gave him, you know, all the labs that either his doctor had ordered or I had ordered. And I gave him the genetic report showing the hemochromatosis genes. You know, I was kind of asking, do you think that the high iron could be causing this? And it was basically heard but dismissed. And then the gastroenterologist took the steps to, okay, we're going to do a battery of tests on the liver to see what's going on. And during that battery of tests, he was, my husband was misdiagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis. We went down a rabbit hole there, which would have ended in a much longer, worse place had I not kind of like intervened and added some extra labs just to say, hey, you know what, this is a misdiagnosis. Let's not wait a year on this medication to figure that out. So that's kind of a tangent. And they did the liver ultrasound, said you have mild fatty liver, need to lose some weight. My husband was a little bit overweight. So then liver enzymes keep going up. We now figure out he doesn't have autoimmune hepatitis. Hemoglobin hematocrit is keeps going up. And so we, you know, revisit, is it this iron issue? Gastroenterologist refers us to hematologist. The gastroenterologist thinks, oh, my husband has polycythemia vera. So he refers us to the hematologist. Get to the hematologist, same thing. Give him the labs, give him the genes. And the hematologist is like, oh, this is easy, hereditary hemochromatosis. So we get the diagnosis, we get the treatment plan remove blood. You know, I'm giving my husband a lot of liver support and things to help kind of accelerate the healing. The liver enzymes come down. A lot of things do improve, but one lab that I had ordered on my husband in this period of time of trying to really figure out what was going on was I ordered a high DHEA, which is, you know, the stress hormone. And occasionally I would get like a cortisol And he, my husband would fluctuate from a high DHEA or high cortisol to like a normal one. And of course, we attribute that to stress. And the hematologist thought, oh, this will come down when the iron is corrected because high iron can cause high cortisol, high DHEA, because it's very stressful to the body. The DHEA did not come down. That was the one thing. And so he said, I don't know why this is, but we'll refer you to an endocrinologist go to the endocrinologist and my husband had a pituitary tumor that was secreting ACTH, which was causing him to have high cortisol, high DHEA, which was causing him to, 
you know, have this extra weight and slowly causing his blood pressure to rise. So I guess the moral to the story is that if we hadn't really been driven and taking these extra steps, I think my husband's health would have gone the path of many other people's health, which is basically it would be ruined by a lack of just investigating and looking for the root cause. It was very easy for those doctors just to dismiss it as you need to, you know, eat better and exercise more. And your liver enzymes are high because, you know, you're not eating right or you're not exercising or you're overweight or, you know, whatever. But the real problem was one, he had that hereditary hemochromatosis, which I believe contributed to the pituitary tumor because high iron likes to go to certain parts of the body and destroy it, particularly the pituitary gland, the liver, the heart, the pancreas, the gonads. And so it is not uncommon for the pituitary gland to have problems, whether that is a tumor or just your pituitary gland shuts down because, and that's where you get a lot of infertility, menopause-related issues, hormone issues, stunted growth. It just depends on where you are in your life. I think that high iron created more oxidative stress and damage to my husband's pituitary gland, which certainly was not in his favor as far as that tumor. And then getting that tumor properly diagnosed and removed was, I think, you know, crucial to any chance of him having a healthy life. So that's kind of where I am today. And so that's why I, one caveat, after living through that, I started becoming much more savvy at diagnosing this in my patients. I would get their genes, I'd get their labs, and I realized that we have this really epidemic of undiagnosed high iron. A lot of people have low iron, but many people have undiagnosed high iron and they are not getting treated properly. And often I'll say, hey, you have a problem. And then they'll go talk to their primary care doctor or whatever, and it'll get dismissed. This is a common you know, situation. So in the throes of all of that, I decided, hey, I need to write a book about this because I have something that I think I need to tell the world. And so that was the why I wrote The Iron Curse. Yeah, I think let's unpack it a little bit. So let's talk about, I'm, I'm pretty sure my listeners, probably many of them, especially during their fertility years, probably at some point may have been anemic. <laughs> it's pretty common to be anemic in women. But I think most women think if they even understand hemochromatosis, they think it's something that happened to men, right? So let's unpack what hemochromatosis is. What does you know, specifically where does iron go? What does it mean when it's elevated? Just to make sure everybody sort of understands that. You did explain for sure that it damages organs, but give my listeners a little background on truly why iron's important and then also why it's bad if it's too much. Right. Yeah. So the iron, it's essential for life, but there is a bit of a double-edged shield to it. So you need it for survival, but because it's so precious for survival, the body, it will hoard it basically. And it will hold on to it. And it doesn't have a lot of mechanisms. Like the body does not have a lot of mechanisms for losing iron other than blood loss really is crucial. So blood loss for menstruation and females is, and not just blood loss for menstruation, but pregnancy is a particularly great way to become anemic as most pregnant women have figured out even people that have this genetic predisposition for high iron often end up becoming anemic during pregnancy because pregnancy is such an intense iron-depleting event. Many women, especially women that have heavy periods, they struggle with chronic 
anemia because they're just losing tons of blood every single month. It's like basically they're going and donating blood every month, which it's just impossible to stay on top of that. It is very hard to absorb enough iron to make up for losing a massive amount of blood every month for, you know, many decades. So because of this, women during their, while they're menstruating and are having kids, they tend to be protected from high iron and they tend to have more low iron issues. Having said that, the both windows before and after that are a high risk. So a lot of people don't think about kids having hemochromatosis, but in fact they do. Men or boys and girls. So my colleague, her daughter developed hereditary hemochromatosis at age five and it was causing, it was really damaging our health quite terribly. And we figured it out and then she went to the pediatrician and the pediatrician referred her to the hematologist and the hematologist was not really willing to fully take it on. It's a bit of a complicated story. I tell it in the book and I have, you know, the whole thing documented. It's quite unbelievable. So, but the point of that is that kids can go high on iron too, especially, you know, females, girls, they're not menstruating yet. Once they start menstruating, they become often much lower. And then postmenopausally, now you're not menstruating anymore. So this is where postmenopausally women tend to be diagnosed more often because now they're basically in the same category as men, which traditionally men tend to be the people at the, you know, the sex at the highest risk for high iron, because what are they not doing? They're not birthing children and they're not menstruating. They're not losing blood like us. Now, a lot of men will become low in iron, and that's usually because of a GI bleed or malabsorption. Those type of things are quite common. A lot of people also become low in iron because they're taking like an acid-reducing drug or, you know, there's reasons that men can become low in iron, but statistically speaking, men tend to become higher in iron more than women, especially men that have the hemochromatosis gene, which is, you know, about 30% of the population has one or more of these genes. Having one or more of these genes is an increased risk for having hemochromatosis, which is this disorder where you have too much iron. What does that do to your body, high iron? It basically, your body starts storing it. And because it's so precious, your body is going to store it first in the liver. That's the natural place to store iron. And then it will overflow as the levels become higher and higher, and then it will go out into the body and it will distort basically anywhere, but it has a particular affinity for like the heart. So if it goes to the heart, you're going to be more likely to have damage to your blood vessels, heart attack, cardiovascular disease, increased heart rate, decreased heart rate variability, just general stress on your heart, difficulty with exercise, fatigue, if it really gets high in your liver with a high ferritin, you know, then you're looking at high liver enzymes, fatty liver. There's actually a 200 times increased risk for liver cancer with people that have hereditary hemochromatosis because iron, when it gets in really high levels, is quite toxic to the body. This is like a toxic metal situation when it gets too high. So the iron also likes to go to the pancreas, damaging the pancreas, causing type 1 or type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance. It likes to go, like I said, to the pituitary gland, causing all sorts of hormonal issues, pretty much any hormonal issue, whether it's thyroid, infertility, cortisol issues, all of the hormones that are made from the pituitary gland 
they often get out of whack because of the iron damaging the pituitary gland. It likes to go to the ovaries and the testes. So it's not uncommon for men and women to have damage to their ovary and testes because of the high iron getting into those organs. And that'll create like low testosterone, abnormal estrogen, progesterone levels, infertility issues. But once the iron gets high enough, it'll go to any organ in the body. So it'll start depositing in the skin, in the brain. It likes to go to the brain, causing Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, neurodegenerative issues, bipolar, you know, depression is really common. So basically, in some ways, it kind of goes to wherever you're. Achilles heel is in your body. And it's just one more stress for your body to have to deal with, which unfortunately it often doesn't get diagnosed, even though it's easy to diagnose and easy to treat and prevent. You know, I agree with you. I think it's very underdiagnosed. And a lot of times because I work with women that are in perimenopause or menopause, that's where we catch it. Right. And it's frustrating. I think I can second your frustration that primary care doesn't know. Hematology will blow it off, obviously. And for anybody that's trying to kind of understand this, the way to think about iron is if I put a piece of iron outside, but today it's raining and it's nasty out, but I let iron sit outside, it's going to get exposed to oxygen and water, both very plentiful in the human body, and it's going to rust. So the rusting process is oxidative. So imagine that you've got deposits of this stuff all over your body. And now it, your body's rusting at a rapid rate, which is then going to increase your likelihood for kind of all cause diseases. So let's talk about this. So you talked a little bit about, obviously, finding that's in labs. Are there other outward signals? Like maybe some of my listeners have doctors that don't listen to their patients and don't want to run anything additional. Is there any other like signs that they could look at, like their nails, their hair, or other things? Well, the problem with that approach is that you are really far down the disease process before you get diagnosed. And do you really want to wait until your health is ruined to diagnose something that you could have diagnosed decades before and prevented and, you know, increased your longevity and quality of life? So, yeah, you know, bronzing of the skin, it, you know, having diabetes. We're talking about symptoms that a lot of things could cause this other than the bronzing of the skin, which is really a high iron type issue. But, you know, most doctors are not saying, oh, your skin looks bronze because that's relative. Like they don't know what your skin would normally look like. They probably just think like, oh, that's your natural color. So I just don't think that's a good approach because we're looking at really inexpensive and readily available labs to diagnose this. So one thing that people can do that can help with the diagnosis, and they can do this outside of what their doctor's ordering, is they could just get one of the direct-to-consumer genetic tests that include the hemochromatosis genes. And if you have one or more of these genes, you are more likely to develop high iron at some point in your life because those genes create an increase in iron absorption. So just because you have one of those genes, it doesn't mean that you're definitely gonna get high iron. Just like if you don't have one of those genes, you're not definitely not gonna get high iron. We're just talking about, statistically speaking, you're more likely to develop high iron if you have one of those genes. And that's a very valuable screening tool that one can take that takes them outside of the typical medical paradigm. But yeah. 
basically, I think honestly, everybody should get a full iron panel included with their annual blood work because we're not talking about really expensive exotic labs here. Okay. It's mind blowing to me. Sometimes patients will come in and they'll have these really exotic kind of labs, but not an iron panel. And I'm just like, what are they thinking here? This is basic. We need to cover our basic steps before we get to the really exotic stuff or at least include it while you're looking for the more complicated stuff. But yeah, ultimately, I think everybody needs to be prepared to ask their doctor, can you order these labs for me? Also be prepared for their doctor to dismiss it and maybe not order it or order it and then don't report on it. That's a really common thing. Like the doctor won't say anything about their ferritin or iron levels being out of range. Or if you bring it up with them, they often, I think out of ignorance, will kind of dismiss it. And especially with the genes, a lot of doctors believe that you have to have two hemochromatosis genes to have hereditary hemochromatosis. And there's this term where they like to call people that have one gene a carrier, quote unquote, which is actually a total misuse of that term. Because to be a carrier, that means that you have a gene, but you're not going to get the disease. You could just pass that gene on to your child. With hemochromatosis, this is really as much an environmental-driven disease as a genetic. With hemochromatosis, you can definitely develop hemochromatosis with one gene. So there's a lot of people that are being told, oh, you're okay, you only have one gene. And then it's this huge missed opportunity to not just protect their health, but the health of their family, because this is genetic. So if you find out you have this gene, everybody in your family needs to be screened. Hey there, are you over 40 and finding that a good night's sleep feels like a distant dream? Have no fear, I have cracked the code. I am offering a free ebook, A Woman's Guide to Kick-Ass Sleep, with insights tailored just for you. So if you're ready to dive into the secrets of sound sleep after 40 and wake up refreshed, zip over to sleep.hormoneshelp.com and snag that ebook. Your dreamy sleep awaits. So let's talk about, so obviously they want to have their iron tested and you talked about ferritin. So iron is the transport of iron in the bloodstream, ferritin is the storage mechanism for iron in tissues. What are the other labs that they should ask for? Or everybody knows that wishes to menopause mastery. I am a test dump guest person. You know, if your doctor won't run it, you could go to, in many states, not all states, but many states, you can order these on yourself and they're dollars. I mean, they're so inexpensive. But tell them what the other tests are. What are the things they should know? Yeah. So the most basic labs that everybody needs to be getting to rule out this condition is they need to get a CBC, which most doctors order, but CBC really inexpensive. That's going to include your hemoglobin, hematocrit, red blood cells, which often get high when you have high iron. Not always. They can be low. That's not really the diagnostic part. That's just an important piece of the puzzle. The Really, the more diagnostic part of the labs is the iron panel, which includes the ferritin, which is the stored iron, although ferritin can get high under conditions of just inflammation, which is a separate issue that needs to be properly diagnosed. But high ferritin is a really serious issue that high iron causes. And then the other labs are the serum iron and the UIBC, the TIBC, and then the iron saturation. And so basically, if you have an iron saturation over 45%, 
that is technically too high. If you have an iron saturation over 45% combined with a high ferritin, that's hemochromatosis. So get the iron panel, get the CBC, and then I always like to get a CMP because that'll get your liver enzymes too. And really, if you have high iron, you really need to know what's going on with the liver because the liver is definitely in danger with high iron. Yeah, now you talked a little bit about this with your husband. So obviously, if your red blood cell gets higher, red count gets higher, you know, they're circulating in the bloodstream. It makes the blood thicker, right? We don't want really thick blood because it's got to pump through. It's kind of like having thick water. It's going to eventually blow the hose, right? We don't want to blow our arteries or our veins. So let's talk about, you know, what are the big risks with that? Obviously, cardiovascular risk because you've got a lot of things going on there. Yeah, this is a serious issue and very common. So You'll see a lot of high red blood cells, high hemoglobin, high hematocrit in people with hemochromatosis. Not everybody, but it it is not uncommon. And what it is, the blood is another place to store iron. So a lot of these people, because they're so good at absorbing iron, their body will find ways to store it. And the blood is a really efficient way to store iron. So the issue is that when you get more hemoglobin and red blood cells in your blood, it's more likely to like clog the drain because there's just, it's like too much toilet paper. It's going to clog the drain. You just get too much in there and it's going to start causing problems. And what I see a lot of is my husband wasn't taking testosterone. He just, he actually had low testosterone from high iron he just had high hemoglobin, high red blood cells, because that's one way that his body deals with the high iron. But what I see a lot of is people that they have low testosterone, either because of high iron or for another reason. And then they take testosterone, which increases iron absorption and increases red blood cells and hematocrit. And then they develop either thick blood, high red blood cells, hematocrit, hemoglobin, or just high iron. And so, and it's unfortunate because sometimes they're given testosterone and they're not really being managed like they should. So there's a little bit of like a chicken and the egg here going on. High iron causes low testosterone. People are given testosterone instead of having the underlying problem fixed. And then their blood gets extra thick. And often that is not corrected. The best way to correct that if you can is just have blood removed. But yeah, the thickening of the blood is serious. This is, you know, going to increase your risk for a clot and particularly dangerous, you know, in today's world with all of the other heart risk factors out there. So it's just something that is easy to screen for, diagnose and treat, but often goes undiagnosed and treated. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we, you and I both live in the same area and you know, there was an explosion several years back of these like low T centers, you know, that were, I'm sorry, there was a brand, so it wasn't necessarily this brand, but they were clinics popping up everywhere that were basically just like, hey, we'll give testosterone to anybody. And at the end of the day, there was just not enough lab testing done, you know, and there is a significant risk if somebody treats with testosterone, particularly a man, but women do, without checking what iron is doing, all these other, what we would consider basic labs, what you and I would consider before treatment. And then as a monitor, I think that's the other thing too, because obviously for men, you know, if you already have red blood cell count that's elevated because you're on testosterone, if nobody's looking at other things like fibrinogen and platelet count, 
Now we have a recipe for a heart attack or a stroke. And same thing for women. I think, you know, that's also, I am a proponent for hormone management in women. And I believe testosterone is very important for women also. But again, it's not a story of more is better. And if your doctors or your prescribers are not actually doing this deeper dive to understand your biochemistry, they're putting you at risk. And it makes me crazy because I see it and I know you see it all the time. Yeah. I had a patient that nearly died from that just because the testosterone was causing them to have such high hemoglobin and hematocrit. And he wasn't listening to me. I had to refer him to a cardiologist who was like, you need to immediately get off of this. This is going to end very badly. But strong family history for cardiovascular disease, walking around with really thick blood because of testosterone. And it's just, I don't know how they get away with it, honestly, but it's scary. It's scary what, you know, the lay person can walk into because there's so much really poor quality healthcare. I wouldn't even call it healthcare out there. And you really have to buyer beware and arm yourself and have the right questions and, you know, get a second opinion. And so that's part of why I wrote the Iron Curse in it. There's just like a, a huge amount of information in there because really, I think ultimately people need to, regardless of their income level, have the ability to learn how to take care of their health and ask the right questions. It's just easier when you have a guide like yourself to kind of push you through, you know, take you to the front of the line. Yeah. Now, I've had a question because I don't actually notice because I've never looked that deeply into the hemochromatosis gene. Is there a particular prevalence in different ancestral backgrounds for hemochromatosis? Yeah. So that's a really interesting kind of part of the story is the Caucasians are at a very high risk. Having said that, so the reason Caucasians are at a very high risk is because this gene originated in a Celtic Viking ancestor like thousands of years ago. And it really was an evolutionary protective mechanism against iron deficient anemia because throughout history, you know, the gauntlets of dying from low iron are very common. So whether it's loss of blood from pregnancy, loss of blood from being wounded, loss of blood from malnourishment, this gene really does help, especially in a low iron environment, which historically, especially in, you know, northern Scandinavian area, low iron environment, um, especially in the colder months, then you're going to be at a higher risk for low iron. So this gene helps increase iron absorption, which helped them survive. So because of that, you know, those Viking Celtic ancestors went all throughout Europe, northern Europe especially, and they, you know, had babies and that gene, you know, really has now traveled throughout the whole world. Not as much in Asia but it's not uncommon for me to see this in, you know, Hispanics and, you know, because Caucasians have now, you know, interbred throughout the whole world, basically. So, however, the United Kingdom has a particularly high rate. So Ireland is actually the highest, but all of the United Kingdom countries are very high risk. So the reason Ireland is the highest is because one, that gene was brought there by that Celtic Viking ancestor early on. But then what happened was the Irish potato famine occurred. And because that famine occurred, the 
people who had that gene were less likely to die. It was a very low iron environment, that famine. A lot of people died of malnourishment. It was a very dark period of history in Ireland. However, the people who had this gene where they were more likely to have iron, absorb iron, they were more likely to survive because they had the energy to, you know, do the work to find food. And the other end of that, once that bottleneck was over and the famine was over, you got a higher percentage of people with these hemochromatosis genes. And then they had kids. And now you have kids that have two of these hemochromatosis genes, which is an even higher risk. You know, one is a high risk, two is a higher risk. So basically now, this is why it's sometimes called the Irish curse. You have over 60% of the population with one of these genes and a very large percent of the population that has two of the highest risk genes. So these are very high risk people. Now, having said that, you know, there's a lot of people with Irish heritage in America. So you don't have to live in Ireland to be at a high risk. There's a lot of Irish Americans or people throughout the world that are at a high risk for having that gene. Irish on both sides, so for yeah. sure. Yeah. So it's yeah. So it's it is very prevalent. And even if you're of a different ethnic background, we did European. I'm saying we because European our ancestors colonized and you know slave traded and everything else, where we spread our gene pool everywhere, which is why we even see celiac in kind of non-Caucasian population at a higher prevalence than what was once assumed. Tell my listeners, so if they, obviously they need to get tested, need to get the gene tested, need to have an anemia panel done at least once a year, right? Because it could shift. It could definitely shift over time. What, once they've done that, maybe they've identified it. Obviously you talked a little bit about, you know, you've got to lose some blood volume. What's the generalized treatment there? What would you recommend? Well, that's a really good question. And there's not really a one size fits all solution everybody's unique. So if you go to a hematologist and they diagnose you, then if you can have blood removed, that is going to be the way that they lower your iron just with blood removal. Now, not everybody with high iron can have blood removed. People with serious cardiovascular, like at risk for acute cardiovascular failure, that can actually be a risk for them just to lose that blood volume. People that have low red blood cells, low hemoglobin, they cannot have blood removed because they are anemic but have high iron. So when you're anemic by having low red blood cells, low hemoglobin, with high iron, that's called iron-loading anemia. And so that's a more complicated situation because you're really high in iron and removing blood would help to lower that iron, but you can't do that because... If you remove blood, now you're going to become even more anemic by being low in red blood cells and hemoglobin. So if you go to hematologists, they'd probably give you a prescription. What I think people should consider doing is I have five steps in the Iron Curse protocols. And if you can't do the first step, which is blood removal, which really needs to be, if you're going to be having a lot of blood removed because you have hemochromatosis, like you need to have a doctor that's helping you with this to make sure it's at the right rate and quantity and everything. But there's also diet, lifestyle, nutrition protocols. And there are some really good supplements that help to lower iron. They combine with the iron to decrease iron absorption, or they just decrease iron absorption. And then if you have really high iron, then you can do things like decrease 
consumption of red meat or shellfish, which are the highest iron foods that are really absorbable. So spinach has iron in it, but it's not absorbable iron. It's non-heme iron. So this is why vegans, vegetarians tend to be at a much, I'm not saying be a vegan or vegetarian. I'm just saying vegans and vegetarians tend to be at a lower risk for high iron because, you know, they're consuming all this non-absorbable iron. Whereas people that eat a lot of red meat shellfish, they are at a higher risk for high iron because they are consuming all of this iron, really absorbable iron. This is also why people like me being anemic, I really have to eat a good amount of red meat to feel good and be healthy. And like a lot of other people, they feel much better on that type of a diet. So, you know, everybody's different. So diet is, of course, a part of it. But this also doing things like drinking tea or coffee with a meal that has iron can decrease iron absorption. That's also one reason that it's thought that the hemochromatosis gene has done so well in places like Ireland because they drink a lot of tea which kind of helps them not become high as fast. So the between, you know, blood removal at the right pace and which really can only be guided by labs, you know, the idea that people are just like, oh, I'm going to go donate blood. I think that's a flawed idea. I think removing blood is a medical procedure. The fact that we've kind of made it this nonchalant thing, I think is not in the best interest of the individual that's having the blood removed because that's a medical procedure. It could be therapeutic and helpful. It could also be detrimental to one's health. Like me, I would do horrible if I had blood removed. Of course, they check your hemoglobin before, but I have a normal hemoglobin. I could donate blood. It would really wreck my health and I would have to crawl myself you know, out of that hole. So I'm not going to do that. Not because I don't want other people to be healthy. I just can't do it at you know, the sacrifice of my own. So, you know, removal blood really needs to be done based on the labs. You need a full iron panel, CBC, before you have blood removed, basically. And then look at the lifestyle. You know, there's tons of different things you can do as far as diet. And then the supplements, some of the supplements like curcumin is a great, it's probably my favorite. There's a number I talk about, but curcumin is my favorite because curcumin protects a lot of the different organs that are damaged by high iron like the liver and the brain and the pancreas and the gonads, and it's anti-inflammatory, but it's a great way to help decrease iron and decrease inflammation. So if somebody has a high ferritin and you're not exactly sure if it's because of iron or inflammation, curcumin can be a nice place to start because that ferritin should go lower with a therapeutic amount of ferritin. You know, that might not be the whole story. You need obviously to look deeper and figure it out. But that's a great place to start for a lot of people if they just kind of need to get that ferritin lower while working on the next step. Because getting, like, there is a lag time between getting somebody saying you have a problem and actually getting treated. So, like, if I diagnose somebody with hereditary hemochromatosis and refer them to a hematologist, it is often a huge lag time before they get in and get treated. And so there need to be things you can do to help protect yourself in the interim. Yeah, you know, I agree completely. Yeah. I mean, we already have, you know, kind of an epidemic of, you know, physician shortages. And then I would say from a functional side, obviously, we, there's just not enough of us. But just to get checked out in an acute situation is almost impossible today. So, you know, you might be months before you see a hematologist, you know, where you could take some proactive steps and 
obviously read Dr. Christie's book and, you know, learn about how to take care of yourself, even if you're under treatment, right? And I think especially for women, and especially if you're in that perimenopause, menopausal, you know, world, it's good to, you have to know this. You got to know it. Like I said, I find it often. And the women look at me like flabbergasted. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, well, you had some hidden protection, you know, for decades and now it's gone and now we can see it. So I think it's so, so very important. So tell my listeners, A, you've got some books out there, obviously, The Iron Curse. Tell them, A, you've got a course coming up and then you have another one coming in May that I think is going to be super valuable. Tell them about how to find you. Yes. Yeah, so all of my workshops, educational workshops and books and everything that I offer and have created is at labrogenomics.com. So L-A-B-R-O-G-E-N-O-M-I-C-S.com. It's kind of like a spelling test and spelling is not my strong suit. So labrogenomics.com has everything. And then if you're just interested in, you know, this iron issue and the workshop, which I have coming up, which is a video workshop that I kind of, it's a lot of information in the book. It's valuable information. And I think everybody needs it, but it's a lot. And to help digest it and assimilate it and kind of create an actionable plan, that workshop helps because we get to have live Q&As at the end of it and really kind of talk about things. So that Iron Curse workshop and the book are at ironcurse.com. And then the cardiovascular workshop is at heartcurse.com. And then I have lots of other workshops that are all at somethingcurse.com. <laughs> but you can find all of those at labrogenomics.com. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes also. So we'll make sure that we get those links and everything. So thank you so much. Thank you. You're exposing something that I would bet most women are like, oh, that's not me <laughs> beforehand. But hopefully now they've got an idea that maybe something is going on. Well, yeah, because they might have been told, oh, your problem is anemia. And it was anemia, but now they're in a different stage of their life. Right, right. And I think that if you don't get the full picture, you can't see it. Just an iron level or just a hemoglobin and hematocrit is not adequate at all. Yeah. Well, Dr. Christy, it was so good talking to you and having thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you for everything you do. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Menopause Mastery. If you found this to be an awesome episode, please do two things. Subscribe and make sure you don't miss the next one. And then drop us a review because I love hearing from you. Thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD and you can reach me online at bettymurray.com. 